Arsenal fall short at Manchester City. It's another away defeat at the hands of one of the big six. But have Arsenal improved in this type of fixture? We're going to be discussing that and we're going to be looking at the game in depth on this edition of the Chronicles of Aguna. Hello and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by Manscaped.com. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou, coming to you guys live a little bit earlier than advertised. And that is because, to be quite honest, it's been a really, really busy weekend of work. Um, I've had a really, really busy day today as well, and I'm tired. And uh, had I sat on the couch for another half an hour or so just there, wasting time until the 9pm sort of slot, I probably would have fallen asleep if I'm being honest. Um, So I wanted to get this out to you guys tonight for those of you watching us live and so that it was available on all the audio platforms for those of you who prefer to listen that way first thing in the morning. So when you're on your way to work or, or if you're working from home, you know, first thing in the morning, whenever is uh, is convenient for you. So we're going to look back at Arsenal's defeat at the hands of Manchester City. It was just the solitary goal uh, that split the two sides and that was from Raheem Sterling in the first half. Uh, it was a game that we brought you live on the VSIN EPL uh, betcast. Myself and Nigel Seeley, really, really tough commentating on your own team uh, because you try as best as you can, um, you know, to, I guess, remain professional, hide your emotions, um but you can't help it. It does filter through a little bit. Um, and, you know, we made no secret of it on the broadcast that I am an Arsenal fan. Um, and I think I was probably the only one that kind of held a little bit of hope as the game went on. That Arsenal were going to find a way back into it. Arsenal were going to equalise. Um, but unfortunately, it simply wasn't to be. Um, we're going to look through the team that Mikel Arteta picked. We're going to be d- discussing that a little bit. We're going to be discussing some of the big incidents from the game. And then talking about whether or not Arsenal have actually progressed. I'm not going to say have actually. That's that's the wrong way. Scrap that. Because we've definitely progressed under Mikel Arteta. But are we still a long way from getting it right in terms of winning this type of fixture? Are we still a long way from going away to one of the big six and winning? I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's 29 games away from home against the big six that we've not won consecutively. That That's embarrassing for a club of Arsenal's size, for a club of Arsenal's stature, for a club with the talent that Arsenal have at their disposal. It's just simply not good enough. Let's start off by looking at Mikel Arteta's team selection because obviously, you know, it's always easy to, to look back and criticise in hindsight and there's been a lot of criticism of the Arsenal boss uh, following yesterday's game. So let's just have a quick look at how the two teams lined up and then we'll discuss that a little bit. Of course, it was Bernd Leno in goal for Arsenal. It was a back four, um, well, at least it looked like a back four on paper of Hector Bellerin, um, Kieran Tierney, Gabriel and David Lewis. Of course, David Lewis drafted in at the last minute. Rob Holding was actually uh, selected initially to start 
alongside Gabriel, but Rob Holding uh, felt a little bit of a, a tightness in his hamstring uh, prior to the game. And that was a last minute dot com change uh, from Arsenal. In the midfield, again, on paper, it was a three. I'm not really sure that was the case, though. It was Xhaka, Ceballos and Bukayo Saka. No place in the starting eleven for Thomas Partey. I know lots of us were keen to see him. Lots of us, um, you know, wanted to see him from the start. But we've got to understand that Thomas Partey only joined in with training uh, on Thursday. It would have been a very, very quick turnaround. What He would have had Thursday session, Friday session, and that would have been it. So it would have been a very, very quick turnaround. I said it on the preview show, didn't I? That as much as I'd have loved Thomas Partey to, to, to start, and I picked him in my side when I was giving you guys the side that I would go with, it always was unlikely that Thomas Partey was going to play from the beginning. Up top, uh, Mikel Arteta went with Willian Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and Nicolas Pepe. But interestingly, I thought think in the build-up to this game, all of us looking at that thought, great. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang returns to the middle. He's going to spearhead Arsenal's attack. But again, that wasn't the case. Uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was deployed from the left. Willian was kind of playing in that false nine role. And and on the substitutes bench, you had Alexander Lacazette and Eddie Nketiah. I'm not really sure what the thinking was behind that. Um, You know, I've heard some people sort of speculate about why that might have been. Mikel Arteta spoken about uh, Willian playing in that kind of false nine role. He said that um, it's a position he understands. And and given the spaces that Manchester City leave, that was kind of what he, you know, that was what he based the selection on. He felt that with the spaces Manchester City leave, this was the best way to try and, and cause them problems. You know, he would have been reluctant to move Aubameyang away from that left-sided position because, quite frankly, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's goal record from that left-hand side is incredible. It's actually better than when he's played through the middle in recent times. Um, you know, it's you know there are a lot of people that call for him to be returned to the middle, but he's scoring goals from the left. It works. Why would you, you, you change it necessarily? But, you know, when you do look at that team and you look at Willian and you look at Nicolas Pepe and you think neither of those guys are natural centre forwards, then you can understand why everybody, I think, when they saw that team selection, was pretty sure that Aubameyang was going to play through the middle. Um, but that wasn't the case. And, and Mikel Arteta was asked about Willian playing in that position. And he said that Willian understands the role. It was obviously something they'd worked on. And it wouldn't be surprised... Um, uh, you know, we wouldn't be surprised, sorry, if he ends up playing that role again. Mikel Arteta, uh, I believe, said something along the lines of he will use him again, um, you know, if uh, if and when necessary, because he understands the role. I didn't think it worked. Of course, hindsight is a wonderful thing, but I really didn't think it worked. Now, Manchester City went with a different system to what they normally go with. They went with a back three. As you can see on your screens here, it was Edison in goal, Carl Walker, Ruben Diaz and Nathan Ake were the back three. Uh, João Cancelo was uh, the kind of wing back on the right um, with uh, Phil Foden kind of doing that job from the left hand side. And then, of course, it was Bernardo Silva and Rodrigo in the middle. Um, and then, of course, you had uh, Sterling Aguero up top. So, yeah, I mean, Manchester City clearly learnt their lesson, didn't they, from from what happened in the FA Cup semi-final. Was was Mikel Arteta's plan 
and, and I mean his plan in terms of playing Willian through the middle and doing what he did and still having that kind of flexible shape where although Bukayo Saka was one of the midfield, he was very much a left wing back at times as well. Was Mikel Arteta's plan based around Manchester City playing in the formation that they have been playing for many, many seasons and, and pretty much ever since Pep Guardiola come in? Possibly. But obviously, Manchester City had reacted to what happened in that last fixture. They made sure that um, that we weren't able to expose those same areas. They worked out a way to deal with it and we struggled as a result. Now, look, it, when we're talking about have Arsenal progressed in this kind of fixture, you, you can't say anything other than yes, because as much as, you know, we got beat, we got beaten by the one goal. I never really felt at, I'm not going to say at any time, but I never really felt with any sort of regularity that we were in danger of conceding another. Um, yes, they had a couple of opportunities, but so did we. What I mean is, it's as comfortable defensively as I've seen Arsenal at the Etihad for many, many years. We went to Liverpool not long ago. And yes, we lost 3-1 in the end, but we stayed in the game for a very long period of time. And we conceded a third when we were kind of going for broke to, to equalise. So, you know, we have progressed in the sense of we're staying in these games longer. We are making these games more difficult for our opponents. We have been more stubborn, more resilient, more resolute. But we're still not picking up results in these games. Now, I'm not going to say that I'm massively concerned by the fact that we got beat at Liverpool and by the fact that we got beat at Manchester City. I think that would be somewhat jumping the gun. I think that would be an overreaction. I don't think we need that. But what I will say is there's got to be a little bit of concern about the fact that when we find ourselves in a position where a game is coming to an end and we are chasing a goal, we're behind. I I feel like Arsenal at the moment lack that ability to just to to go gung ho. I think when you, I, I know a lot of people used to give Arsene Wenger shit about the fact that you know there were games where he would just throw on three, four attackers and just go for broke. But sometimes it worked. Sometimes we pulled back goals at key moments. Sometimes you know, we got what we needed and you always felt that Arsenal could turn it on in an attacking sense. We certainly have the talent, but when you kick off a game of football and your, I guess your game plan, your tempo, your, you know, the way you're sort of setting up, the way you're going out to play the game is one way. It's very difficult on 70, 75 minutes to just click your fingers, flick a switch and all of a sudden become this expansive attacking outfit and really put your rivals up against the wall and, and you know, throw the kitchen sink at them. It is so tough to switch that up. And it feels like we kind of at times under Mikel Arteta, and, and, and I want to make this clear, I'm not sitting here saying I want Mikel Arteta out. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm a, you guys will know I'm a massive fan of Mikel Arteta and the job he's done. Um, I think everybody that listens to this or watches this will know that I am a fan of of the Spaniards. But there's got to be a concern about the fact that we, we seem to get in this slow rhythm, slow tempo. And that's fine when you're defending because we have become defensively 
a more resolute unit. But there will be times in games where you need to click out of that. You need to switch that. You need to inject something into the side that says, yeah, we need a change of momentum here. We need a shift of gear. And that doesn't happen with this Arsenal side. And that is my worry. Not playing a centre forward yesterday. Playing William through the middle. He's obviously identified something about Manchester City that persuaded him that that was the way to go. And there are very few people in the game of football right now that know Manchester City better than Mikel Arteta. He was an integral part of their success in recent times. He was Pep Guardiola's right-hand man. But Pep Guardiola's not silly either. And Pep Guardiola recognised that Arsenal got one over him in the FA Cup semi-final. Pep Guardiola recognised that if he did exactly what he did in that, uh, you know, that earlier fixture, or the fixture earlier this year in the Cup, he would have got done again. And Pep Guardiola did something to counteract that. And I'm not even going to say it worked necessarily because I don't think Manchester City were any good either. I actually thought Arsenal were very, very comfortable. In the second half, Arsenal had more possession than Manchester City, but we couldn't turn that possession into something more. We still struggled to progress the ball in certain areas. We still got the ball with certain players, with the likes of Granit Xhaka, with Danny Ceballos, and they would look up, and, and whether it was because they couldn't pick out the pass, they couldn't see it, or whether it was because the option wasn't there, the progression in our game was lacking. The fluency was lacking. And... Um, I think that is something that needs to be addressed. We spoke a lot about a lack of creativity in recent times. Um, and it just feels like, and I don't really want to mention he who should not be named, but it feels like at times we, we're missing that type of player. Even if it's not from the start. Look, I, I get going to Manchester City and being cautious and being defensive and trying to be pragmatic in your approach. But you need to have the ability that when you do concede a goal, that at some point in the game, and I'm not saying that we should have changed it straight away. Um, I think in a game like that against a team of that quality, you, you do need to stay in the game for as long as you possibly can. But when it gets to that last 20 minute, 15 minute mark, you want to see Arsenal change it. You want to see Arsenal shift things. You want to see... Uh, I guess a change of emphasis in the way you're playing. And yes, he brought Lacazette on. Yes, he brought Nketiah on. But I didn't see that. I didn't see that. And um, I don't know. I I do worry about our kind of inability to get out of this slow rhythm, this slow tempo when it matters. Because playing that way is all well and good. But if you do concede a goal and you don't have the ability to shift it, to change it, then it's a problem. And it is a problem that we're going to face often. Because as much as we say that Mikel Arteta's side of, uh, or, or that Mikel Arteta himself has improved this side defensively, when you've got Bellerin in the side, when you've got David Lewis in the side, you know, when you've got certain people in that side, you're going to concede goals at, at, at times, you know? So, you know, you, you just want to see Arsenal kind of take the game by the scruff of the neck. And there was never a better time, I don't think, to go to Manchester City and really put them to the sword. Had we gone there and Manchester City played like the Manchester City of old and Manchester City were playing free-flowing, attacking football, 
you kind of sit there and you go, okay, they're just better than us. We stayed in the game for a long time. We lost 1-0. Isn't the end of the world. But when you look at a team who are obviously lacking in, in confidence themselves, lacking in structure themselves, playing a formation that is very foreign to them, you feel like everything was there. The, the, set, the scene was set for Arsenal to go and, and take the game by the scruff of the neck and really make a statement and get a result at Manchester City. I didn't even want all three points. Well, obviously I wanted three points, but I didn't expect three points. I certainly didn't expect three points. I expected a defeat. Had we got a point, it would have been an absolute bonus. And when you get a goal late coming from behind, that kind of feels like a win, particularly in a game like that away from home against one of the traditional big six. So, yeah, I I, I can't help but feel a little bit of disappointment um, following that fixture. Let's uh, have a look at the goal that, that Arsenal conceded as well, because I think you know, there's been a lot of talking points sort of around this goal. And I'm just going to show you guys the initial sort of... So you can see here on your screen, I'll explain it for those of you listening on the audio. Riyad Mahrez had the ball on the halfway line on the right-hand side uh, for uh, Manchester City. Now, of course, Riyad Mahrez was dealt with in the um, in the FA Cup game because Ainsley Maitland-Niles was playing at left wing-back. And Riyad Mahrez, we know, left-footed player always going to cut inside. And Ainsley Maitland-Niles made it really, really difficult for him that day. Kept forcing him to go the other way. But you can just see here in this screenshot that Arsenal have squeezed up a little bit. Kieran Tierney's there putting pressure on Riyad Mahrez. Bukayo Saka's just behind him. The line has kind of pushed up. But Mahrez, as all players of quality do, finds a way to keep possession and then plays this pass into Sergio Aguero, who's also dropped deep. You can see Sterling's beyond him. You can see Foden's beyond him. And when Aguero picks up the ball, from the minute Sergio Aguero picks up this ball, you know that Arsenal are in trouble. Because we're, we're, we're backtracking here. Now you've got a situation where that midfield screen that Arsenal... I hope uh, are looking or always looking to have in front of the, the defence is simply not there. Granit Xhaka is behind Sergio Aguero. Danny Ceballos isn't going to get across to Sergio Aguero quick enough. And even if he does, you can see that both Saka and Tierney have both pushed up. So the, like I said, the minute this ball goes into Sergio Aguero, we're in trouble. If I just move it on a little bit, uh, Aguero carries the ball forward. You can see Xhaka still getting back. You can see Ceballos still getting back. And you can see that Arsenal back three has really, really narrowed. And I always say this. It is about, first and foremost, defending the width of your penalty area. That has always got to be the aim in situations like that. In years gone by, Arsenal haven't been compact like this. And Arsenal have made it far too easy for their opponents. Now, I've seen a lot of people give Hector Bellerin stick about this goal. And I look at him in this current position and I think to myself, what else do you want Hector Bellerin to be doing here? He's chasing back. He knows that Foden's over his left shoulder. He's also trying to be as compact and as, and as close as possible as he can be to David Lewis and Gabriel, as I said, to keep it as a unit. And then we just move this on one more time and the ball comes into Phil Foden for me, as much as Hector Bellerin probably should do better here, you know, and it is easy for Foden to cut infield. 
Phil Foden is a left-footed player. I don't think that Hector Bellerin is necessarily doing the wrong thing by slightly showing him inside. Uh, look, he's not fully showing him sort of either way, but I think with David Lewis in that position on the edge of the penalty area, David Lewis has got to be looking to come in and give Bellerin a hand here. He's got to be looking to shut that space. You don't want Phil Foden on his left foot. So when he does come inside, in my view, looking at that still image that we're seeing now on your screens, it takes a couple of strides and David Lewis should be there. David Lewis should be closing that channel. And, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like then that way you deal with Phil Foden. You've shut the, him going on the outside in Hector Bellerin's case. And if David Lewis is doing what he's supposed to be doing here, then you've closed off that angle inside as well. But Arsenal, again, they simply don't deal with it. They simply don't deal with it. And Foden cuts inside as I move it on once more. And he gets the shot away. Now, Foden's shot is saved by Bern Leno. And I'm going to get some heat for saying this because I know there are a lot of people that, that don't feel like, you know, this is this is anything to do with Berlino or Berlino is at fault at all. And I realised that in a situation such as this, as a goalkeeper, when a player's inside your penalty area and gets a shot off, your thought and your mind and your objective, first and foremost, is to keep the ball out of the back of your net. But you cannot, at the highest level, be parrying the ball into that area where Berlino has parried it. Basically, onto the penalty spot. You can't do that. And the reason this infuriated me is because it's not the first time that Bern Leno's done this. If you remember the game at Anfield not long ago, there was a header that went back across Bern Leno's goal and he made what I thought was a comfortable save. And again, he parried it into the path of an oncoming attacker. And I kept saying, you know, everyone's praising the save, which I think he should make. I think he should make this Foden save as well. But the very best goalkeepers, they don't parry the ball into these areas. And that's what separates the, the very elite and the good. And I'm not saying Berlino's a bad keeper, he's a good keeper. But you simply cannot afford to put the ball back on the penalty spot um, in, in this situation. And from there, Raheem Sterling, well, the goal is at his mercy and, and he's going to score. And, you know, so I think... With this goal, there's a combination of things that, that just weren't done right. I think Bellerin may be, you know, I, I get what he's trying to do. He's trying to shut off that outside channel for Foden on his left foot. In doing that, he's shown him inside. But then by doing that, do you ever want to show someone inside? Not really. And then David Lewis's role is a little bit, I think, not quite right. Um I think that David Lewis needs to get there quicker. David Lewis needs to be aware that there's a chance of, of Foden cutting in and that Bellerin has been isolated one-on-one. -on -one. And as the right-sided centre-back, he's got to get there and help his man. And I think he takes too long in doing that. But when it comes to Bern Leno as well, that for me was the really, really frustrating bit. It, to parry it right onto the penalty spot. Is just so frustrating. And if it happened once in a blue moon, if it happened once in a while, I'd be able to forgive him for it. And to be fair to Bern Leno, he made some good saves a little bit later on in the game. But this happens too often with Bern Leno. It is a common feature 
in the German's game. And it is why I've always said that whilst he's an excellent shot stopper and he does have some qualities, he's a good goalkeeper, but he's not at the very top end. He's not elite. He's not world-class. You don't see Alisson parrying that ball there. And that's kind of the difference. It's, you know, a lot of people saying in the in the, in the comments, you know, Archangel says Martinez would have held it. Lung Burkamp says we sold our best keeper. End of. Um, King Shazam says Martinez was the best keeper. We let him go. Matthew Henry says you're absolutely right about Leno. Tim, Leno never keeps hold of the ball. You know, again, I, I don't want to go kind of too hard on this. I don't want you guys to think that I'm just blaming the whole defeat on Berlino because we had other deficiencies going the other way. Lots of problems. But I can't help but be frustrated at that. And I think that I'm being fair when I say that Berlino does that often, too often, and that it is a problem for Arsenal. It is a problem. He doesn't fill me with confidence in a number of ways, but this parrying the ball into dangerous areas is a is a big issue for me. A big issue. You know, your defenders are busting their balls to get back and to defend. But if they're getting back, if Gab in Gabriel's case, you know, if I take it back to that screenshot, in Gabriel's case here, he's working obviously to get back on the line when Phil Foden has a shot. And now he finds himself in a situation where because he's trying to work back in that position, he now can't get to the penalty spot or to Raheem Sterling quick enough to try and put him off, to make a block. And, you know, it's just it must be so frustrating to see your goalkeeper put the ball into that kind of area. So, again, whilst I'm not saying that, that Bern Leno is the reason Arsenal, well, the sole reason Arsenal got bit, it is uh, got beat a bit um, it, it was poor and it was disappointing and it was frustrating and I said it in commentary yesterday it just happens too often for me and the same thing over and over again that grates on me this, if someone makes the same mistake over and over again that winds me up and um, we are seeing that over and over again with Bern Leno at this moment there was of course another incident in the first half whereby I thought Arsenal should have been awarded a penalty and it's not me sitting here making excuses or having sour grapes. I just feel like we need to highlight this because for me, there's enough in this for it to be a penalty. Now, you can see this on your um, screenshot. I mean, that kick from Carl Walker is something that belongs in Karate Kid, not on a Premier League pitch. Yeah, some people are going to argue that Gabriel's put his head in there, which he's fully entitled to do. And, and Walker is entitled to challenge for the ball, of course, but... When you see in other games sort of fouls given for the high foot, for endangering an opponent, for for that kind of thing, and then you go into a game like this and it's not even looked at, it is really, really frustrating. Mikel Arteta spoke about it, didn't he, in his post-match. He was asked about it and he said that he asked the VAR why they hadn't checked it. They said they had checked it. And he said, well, how could they? I think his words were, how the hell did they check that? so quickly and he's right the fact is that you know you might decide as an official that that's not a penalty but it's the inconsistency of how VAR is being applied that drives me absolutely nuts and you know I am no Liverpool fan but I mean what we saw in terms of that offside decision with with Sadio Mane for me was nuts and we saw other situations as well 
um, the foul on Virgil van Dijk, which incidentally looks like he's going to keep him out for the rest of the season now. All that stuff drives me mad because it's the inconsistency with which this good, I think it's a good system, it is being applied. It is a good system. It's just the people operating it are clueless. And that is the problem we have here. What this is doing is it's not solving all our problems at the moment, but it's highlighting the incompetence of some of the officials. And it's making it um, inexcusable when they make these kind of sort of mess up. So, you know, I, I was frustrated that that wasn't looked at. I don't believe it was looked at, despite what the officials kind of told Mikel Arteta. And that is what is really, really infuriating at the end of the day. Um. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's a frustrating defeat because it's a defeat in a game where I felt like we were we were equal to them. I felt like we were as good as them on the day, which wasn't very good. I feel like we won't get many better opportunities to go to Manchester City and take a result. And that's not even going on about the three points. You know, a point would have been plenty. I'd have been very happy with that. I didn't expect Thomas Partey to play anyway. I was baffed by the decision to play Willian as a false nine. But my biggest concern coming away from that game is not about the fact that we lost at Man City. Look, we've lost two games in the Premier League so far this season. But we've lost against the two best sides by, a, a, in my view, a country mile. I still think that despite what people say about uh, a number of other clubs, that Manchester City are still the second best team in England. Um you know, look, five games, nine points, three wins. There's been no none of those draws, the draws that seemed to kill us last season. There's been none of that. We've won the games that we should win and we've lost the games that we probably should have lost as well. But at some point, if we're going to compete for the top four, we have to be able to beat the teams around us. Even if it's not beating them, we have to be able to get results against teams like that. Now, I know those are the two hardest games that we'll have, City away and Liverpool away. But it is frustrating when you know that the opportunity was there, when you know that they were never anywhere near their best. Yet, we didn't take advantage of that. It is frustrating. You can't, you can't have sort of... You can't come away from that without any regrets. Now, again, as I said, a 1-0 defeat is not shameful at Manchester City and I'm not going to be going overboard or you know really laying into Mikel Arteta and and I'm not even really laying into Bern Leno even if it came across like that but I'm just kind of analyzing the game highlighting the the key moments for me um you know Arsenal had some opportunities as well which we didn't take um but yeah I, I guess what I'm saying is the overriding feeling at the end of that one is what one of disappointment as it always is when you get beat but when you get beat and you know that the opponent didn't have to be at their best, you know, we went to Anfield and Liverpool were excellent and Liverpool won the game. But we didn't, you know, we didn't make Manchester City have to perform at a top level in order to beat us. It was like a half-hearted performance from Manchester City. Uh, unfit Sergio Aguero leading the line. I didn't think Sterling was great. I didn't think any of their talented players Bernardo Silva was great of course there was no Kevin De Bruyne as well no Imeric Laporte so that's what I'm saying like you, you you can't not feel any 
disappointment off the back of that. Let's um, go over to the chat for some of your questions. Get your questions in. Uh, we're going to just do a few more minutes and we'll take some of those. This one comes from Archangel. He says, are we going to talk about Aguero screaming in Sean Massey's face, then putting his hands all over her and it being totally ignored? Of course, Sergio Aguero was unhappy with the decision that the Lions, uh, Lions woman Sean Massey gave. He started off by kind of protesting verbally, um, sort of in her face. And then he put his arm around her shoulder and... You know, I, I don't feel like Sergio Aguero did that with any malice or with any intention of, you know, causing a thing. But it just made me feel uncomfortable. It was really uncomfortable. And I've seen a lot of women say kind of um, that this is the kind of thing that goes on in a male-dominated environment. And I, I wouldn't know, but... I guess, I mean, I wouldn't know how they will feel or how they feel in a male-dominated environment. I couldn't possibly know, but I get that. It just left me feeling a little bit uncomfortable. Again, I don't think it is that big a deal. Um, I think it was wrong. But do I think that Sergio Aguero done that with the intention of, of causing an issue? No, I don't. I think it was a natural reaction, a wrong natural reaction. And one that kind of highlights the fact that actually... It's an attitude thing um, it, 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 that still exists in the game of football where it is a very male-dominated environment. I think that something should be done about it. I think there should be some awareness raised off the back of it. Maybe Aguero should be fined. I don't know what the kind of... It, it's an unprecedented situation. It's not something I've seen happen before for me to know kind of where they should go in terms of dealing with it. But I do think it highlights and... Uh, an attitude issue within football as a whole rather than just with Sergio Aguero. So, yeah, uh, it's definitely wrong. Um, as I said, it made me feel uncomfortable when I saw it. But I think as with anything sensitive like this, I think it's about what do we want to learn from it? What do we need to change off the back of it? And how do we achieve that? There will be outrage and there should be outrage when something happens that is wrong. But you have to channel that outrage and that anger into a way that actually makes change happen. Rather than just sitting there going, Aguero is this, Aguero is that, Aguero is this. What has that taught us? What has that highlighted? What issue within our game has that raised? And now how do we raise awareness around it? How do we educate people around it? And how do we prevent it? from being a natural reaction to another player in the future. That's kind of my thing about it. So it's wrong, shouldn't happen. I felt uncomfortable with it. The most important bit is about how we deal with it and how we how we learn from it and how we improve things off the back of it. Um, so yeah, I, I do expect there'll probably be some sort of follow-up on that um, in the coming days, whether that is a, an apology from Sergio Aguero. I don't, maybe there's been one, I don't even know. Um, if I'm telling the truth. Um, so, yeah, we'll have to wait and see on that. Um, Sumalia Diogaria says, are you worried about our tactics? Am I worried about Arsenal's tactics overall? No. Um, because I, 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 I get 
why you would set up in that way. I don't get why you would go to somewhere like Manchester City and leave yourself open to be destroyed within 20 minutes. I've touched on the point already in this show that actually as much as we lost the game, we were more competitive. We did stay in the game longer. That is a positive sign. It wasn't a 3-4-5-0 drubbing. It was a 1-0 defeat. I'm not worried about the tactics. I'm worried about our ability to up it a gear, to change shape in-game, to change attitudes in-game. That's what I'm worried about, rather than the initial tactics. Um, yeah, I'm worried about our ability to, to change games when when the game plan goes out of the window. And inevitably, when you go to places and you set up in that way, and it's very much about containing there will be instances where you go behind to a deflected goal, to a known goal, to a penalty, to, you know, things change in football matches like that. And so you've got to be able to respond. And I, whilst I feel like Arsenal have made strides in some ways, I still feel like Arsenal aren't quite at the point where they can make those adaptations and make them, I guess, what's the word? where they can make those adaptations in the game, where they can shift their emphasis and where they can turn a game um, based on, on sort of the manager almost just pressing a button. It, it isn't there. It's not an easy thing to find in football, but we seem to be a long way from it, too far from it. Um, and that does worry me over the course of the season. It, it does. But again, just to answer your question, it's not necessarily a tactical issue, I don't think. It's about when you play a certain way, it is about being able to change that mindset, I think. I think that's the problem. Uh, being able to, to change the attitude, shift the momentum in a game. King Shazam says, do you think Arteta will get it right eventually? And do you think he is the right man to take us forward? Absolutely. At this stage, um, I am 100% behind Mikel Arteta. I've been behind Mikel Arteta from the day I heard him speaking that first press conference when he got the job I, I, I've been that impressed by his aura by what he says I think he has made us more difficult to beat he's won an FA Cup he's done some really really good things but I've said it all along this will be a bumpy road Arsenal's road back to the Champions League is not a straightforward one it's not just like that you know they're going to be lefts they're going to be rights we're going to go back sometimes we're going to hit road bumps we're going to hit brick walls even but I do believe that Mikel Arteta is the man to get this Arsenal side back to where they need to be. We need to be patient, though. And that's why, as much as I, I, I've spoken a lot about my disappointment off the back of yesterday's game, sticking the knife in, sticking the boot in to the manager, it's not the right thing, is it? Because we, as much as we've made some sign-ins, there are still a lot of components within that squad that simply aren't good enough simply aren't good enough um let's see um mark no one says spuds three west ham three you're welcome i <laughs> love that um absolutely love that and i've got to be honest guys today so i was um i was watching the game and i wanted to go out for some dinner but my little one was getting tired and um when spurs went freeing it up I went, oh, do you know what? I don't want to watch this anymore. They just looked so efficient. They were, you know, every, I think they had three attempts at goal and scored three goals. 
Kane and Son were running the show and I thought, my God, I'm done with this. I don't want to sit and watch Spurs score fours and fives and Gareth Bale coming on and all that. So I left. I left the house. By the time I got to where I was going um, and I sat down and I looked at my phone, it was 3-2. But I looked at it and I went, uh, 89th minute, 3-2. Valiant effort from West Ham, but it's not going to happen. And then I got the notification. I got the notification and I almost spilt my drink with joy, with delight uh, for that goal. And I, I haven't actually seen the highlights of the second half yet. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to watching that tonight on a match of the day. Um, big hello to Andreas in Cyprus. Uh, he says Villa are winning 1-0. Barkley, what a signing that is. Um, that has been for Aston Villa. It's been incredible, hasn't he? Um Going to pick up a couple more questions because we've got a few more coming through. Um, we're going to go for probably another five, ten minutes, depending on um, what you guys want to ask in the chat. Uh, Avic says, I still think Ozil could be a good option if Xhaka and Partey in the midfield with Obalaka and Pepe up top. No creativity from our midfield. This is the thing, isn't it? Like You feel like this Mesut Ozil situation is like kind of irretrievable now. Like it's gone beyond... A solution but then you watch games like yesterday and you feel like what harm would it be calling on him from the bench and this is the, the the issue for me and this is what makes it even more frustrating aside from the fact that he's getting all this money and not really doing much I don't really care about that I don't really care about the finances I care about what's best for the Arsenal team and I still as much as some of the things he does in terms of the PR and all that get on my nerves I still feel like there is something there and that we're not using it. And I can't help but feel that. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting sucked into it because of the disappointment following yesterday's game. I don't know. Uh, Ross says, we seem to show the big teams too much respect in the league games. In the cup games, we seem to get better results. Yeah, I feel like I, I think that's that's quite um, that's quite simple. I guess in the sense of in a cup tie, you you don't get a point for a draw. You know, you're either through or you're not. But I think there is, I think that Mikel Arteta is so pragmatic that he does look at games in blocks, maybe, um, and says, I want seven points from those three games. I want six points from those three games. And that determines how he, he kind of goes into fixtures, with what mindset he goes in, with what setup he goes in. I don't know. Um, but you're right. It seems to be a lot more effective at the moment in the cup competitions. I think there's a bit of an, an element of luck to that as well. Um, you know, let, let's see. Um, let's see. It is. Um, I don't know. Um Sherwin says, "Why didn't we match Man City's formation and fight it out rather than lose due to rather lose due to quality than effort?" I don't think Arsenal expected Manchester City to play the way they did. I think Pep Guardiola caught Mikel Arteta cold, and I think Mikel Arteta played with the false nine in Willian in an attempt to maintain the positives from that FA Cup win, but also spring a little bit of a surprise because Pep Guardiola would have watched that game back again. He would have understood him and his team and his analysts would have understood what went wrong that day and they would have tried to 
to counter that. And so Mikel Arteta felt that he had to have another surprise up his sleeve. But even so, I don't think he thought for a second that Mikel, that um, sorry that uh, Pep Guardiola was going to play the way that he did. So yeah, um, difficult, difficult. Uh, Callum Reed says, hi, Harry, haven't watched you in ages. How you doing? How you doing, mate? Welcome back to the channel. Why haven't you watched in ages? What's going on? <laughs> Just a quick reminder. If you haven't already, guys, smash that like button. It is so, so important. I don't have my phone to hand to check how many we've got at the moment. But there are over 150 of you watching across the multiple platforms right this minute. So if you could all please smash the like button. I'd very, very much appreciate it. It is so, so important for the channel's growth that you do that um and yeah uh please feel free to do so don't forget also this podcast is sponsored by manscape.com so if you want your genital areas or your body in general uh hair to look as uh, trim as lush hopefully not as green as the emirates stadium pitch then head over to manscape.com and place your orders now it's the lawnmower 3.0 that's the new one that's the one to get and if you enter our discount code which is Chronicles AFC, all one word, all in capitals. That's rolling across the bottom of your screens. You will get not only 20% off of your order, but free shipping as well. So it's well worth it um, if you are in the market for that sort of product. And I promise you, I've got the Manscaped one here. Where is it? Hold on. Hold on. Oh, it was here. It's somewhere. Um, but yeah, check it out. Hold on. You made me want to find it now. I've got the box here. Where is it? Ah, here we go. Here we go. It's the lawnmower 3.0. It's even got a light, so you miss, uh, so you don't miss any of the dark areas of the nooks and crannies. So do check it out. You also get some uh, amazing bits and pieces with it as well, uh, like this ball toner. Um, <laughs> you also get the uh, crop preserver, which is ball deodorant. So you get that too. You get a pair of Manscaped boxers, which as you can see, I've not worn yet. Um, and you get all the pieces in this box. So yeah, um, as the uh, packaging says, guys, your balls will thank you. So check out manscaped.com, enter the discount code and uh, get yourself one of these bad boys. Um, they are really good. Uh, right. Um, I want to say a uh, massive thank you to every single one of you who is uh, joining us in the chat. A uh, big hello to Mason Greenwood as well. Not the Mason Greenwood, obviously, but he says, love the content, Harry, subbed and liked. Thank you very much, mate. Um, Archangel says Tottenham got manscaped. Brilliant stuff. Um, apologies if I haven't answered your question uh, this time around. I always try to look out for people whose questions I haven't answered recently when I'm picking them out. Um, but we are running out of time. So I do apologize and, and feel free to put them in the comments and I'll answer them in the comments um, at the bottom of this video uh, at some point tomorrow. So feel free to do that if uh, I, I did miss your question. And apologies if I have. Um, don't forget, subscribe, like, share, comment. You know the drill by now. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow uh, with some more content for you. Um, Patrons uh, will be bringing you our Arsene Wenger book review. Uh, we'll be reviewing chapters one and two of Arsene Wenger's autobiography, My Life in Red and White. We'll be talking about those in detail. Myself and our editor over on the ChroniclesAFC.com website, Jay Bayford, will be doing that. And that will be available to patrons from Tuesday morning. So stay tuned for that. If you want to become a patron, head over to Patreon.com uh, forward slash 
the Chronicles of Aguna. Oh, is it Chronic? Yeah, there it is. Here, it's on your screens. You can become a patron by heading over to patreon.com forward slash the Chronicles of Aguna. You can sign up for just £3 a month and you'll receive access to exclusive content as well as some other perks. Um, so thank you guys very much in advance for your support. Remember, like, 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 subscribe if you haven't already. And we'll be back very soon with more. Until then, take care um, and join us. A little bit later in the week where we'll be doing not only more Arsenal content, but we will be uh, bringing you our social club show in which we'll look back on this crazy weekend of Premier League action. Very much looking forward to that too. Until then, cheers. Cheers.